Welcome to the CBA Grain Exchange Podcast. This is your host, Luke Beckman, Grain Sales Manager for Central Valley Ag. During this podcast, we dissect the latest USDA updates and discuss other key market features. Every month, you will hear from different members of the CBA Grain Team on what trends we are seeing in the marketplace and solutions to current marketing challenges. Welcome back, everybody. Episode number 24 of the CBA Grain Exchange. I'm your host, Luke Beckman. We have uh, an exciting guest with us today, Nick Fitzgerald. He is a broker with Advanced Trading, one of CBA's partners in the grain business. And uh, he really brings a lot of expertise uh, to what we do. And ultimately, that gets back to our producers. Uh, so excited to bring Nick on to talk about the December WASDE report today. And we're going to dive into some other stuff because this report was quite a snoozer. Uh, so let's, uh, we want to bring Nick on and, and get into some of the things that he's an expert in. Uh, to provide a little bit of value to uh, what our farmers are doing um, out in the country. So, Nick, welcome to the CBA Grain Exchange. Thanks for having me, Luke. Well, thanks for hopping on, Nick. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about your background? Yeah, I was with, uh, I started uh, with ADM, uh, and I worked with ADM for about seven, eight years, Um First stop was actually Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, fob trucking, processing, uh, corn and beans, and then worked a little on the river, um, also did a little eastern rail, and then uh, spent some time up north in the processing sector. Uh, came to advanced trading six years ago, and uh, we currently work with commercials uh, such as you guys and uh, hedge funds, food companies, and producers kind of all across the U.S. and and a few overseas as well. Awesome. Well, you've got, you know, quite a perspective, Nick. I love bringing guys like you on this uh, podcast, really, to, just because you have so much of that experience. And I think it's valuable for our producers and our listeners to kind of glean some of that from you. So, I mean, tell us, you know, how do you see and what with what you've seen, how does a company like CBA add value to uh, our producers at the farm gate? Uh, just based on your viewpoint as a commercial broker. Sure. Yeah. Uh, having worked out uh, in Nebraska and, and, you know, working with you guys in that front uh, on the other side of it from ADM and then, you know, uh, coming over to ATI and working with you guys as, as an ally uh, on, on the marketing side, uh, I feel like, you know, have, have been around your company quite a bit. Luke and I will honestly say I, I think uh, that you guys are one of the, the best co-ops in the U.S. Um, via your expertise in ag, uh, innovation, marketing, and your your geographical footprint. Um, I, I I think honestly have seen this and and you guys still over the years have maintained you know that cooperative spirit to really deliver value to all of your members uh, in agronomy grain. Uh, feed in energy. So um, I always, I always really like to to look at, you know, what drives the company. And, and it, I, I do think it's the people uh, and having worked with you, Luke, and, and others for quite a long time, uh, know that you guys are certainly the driver behind uh, the company and, and uh, the integrity of the company. We're going to have to, we're going to have to take a few of those lines and just put them on repeat on a loop, Nick. You're just making me blush a little bit because you were you're so complimentary <laughs> there, but you know, you, you talked about the people and, and it's not possible without good people and that's employees. That's the farmers that we serve. Um, and it's industry partners like yourself, you know, that provide good information and good Intel that really keep us 
you know, on the cutting edge of, of providing innovative solutions to our producers and uh, being efficient in our business operations and just making sound business decisions. Because uh, this world's moving fast, the waters are moving fast, and you have to count on good people. So uh, I'd echo your comments, Nick, and uh, uh, share some of the same with you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks for thanks for hopping on. This is going to be fun. Uh, the report conversation is not going to be fun. There's nothing that happened uh, in this Thursday yeah. WASDE report. Um, and I think a lot of people knew that coming in. December is usually pretty quiet. So we're a month out from uh, the grain stocks report, uh, which is going to be January 12th. And uh, that's also the final supply revisions that the USDA provides in January. So this December report, we're just kind of passing time, honestly. Yep. And uh, nobody really expected any big moves coming into the day. Market was looking for the corn carryout to tighten just a little bit, maybe on some bigger demand adjustments. But USDA elected to punt uh, domestic balance sheet 100% unchanged in corn. I suppose uh, if you look at some of the global revisions, uh, Ukraine's crop moved up 2 million metric tons from 38 to 40 million, and their exports up a million. Uh, from 31.5 to 32. That's probably the big bullet point to talk about, but uh, I'll just pause there, Nick. What were kind of your takeaways or what's some of the um, highlights that you would point out? Yeah, I think you nailed it, Luke. Uh, really no change. Um, I think the biggest thing going forward, um, you know, they left the ending stocks at 1.493 billion bushels. Um, and as you mentioned, maybe looking to tighten up a little bit from uh, potentially the export side of things, or even the, uh, the the grind side of things from ethanol, and those are two things. You know, um, I, I see the production pretty much having a nail in it here. And as we get into the January report, um, I, I continue to think we'll need to focus on the demand side, and specifically uh, the ethanol. We we know that uh, margins have been fantastic this past. Uh, you know, four or five months, and uh, we've seen them at levels we haven't seen since back in the 2008-2009, the, uh, uh, historically high, and that's been a difference this year uh, from, from many years. Um, so I think that'll be the big thing in the January report to keep an eye on. Um, as you mentioned, you know, the Ukraine crop got a little bigger. Um, I forget the exact percentage they're up, but they are up considerably uh, this year versus last. Um, so that's one thing, you know, for, for our producers to keep uh, an eye on is as we continue to put up better, better yields and um, we're, we're going to continue to see the world do the same thing and continue to grow as well. So watching uh, countries like Ukraine and, of course, South America, which to note, they didn't change those numbers as well either. They kept the corn and, and bean um, production numbers pretty big and and as we know that they're they're looking really good uh, so far and on paper they're extremely big um so i think those are the big things one thing i will point out is uh the 21 or 2021 uh crop they up uh, USC up by 1 million metric tons for Brazil to 87. Um, and our research team kind of thought that uh, th that made some sense uh, the way their exports continued to kind of uh, hit the market here as of recently when, when, you know, we thought they should be running out of bullets. So um, I think for corn, that's really the only thing to mention and kind of all eyes now on, on South America um, and uh, really the January report. Yeah, it, you know, you mentioned Ukraine uh, in there as far as being up and just looking at the numbers here. 
30 million metric tons was the size of their crop in 2021 and uh, forecasting mm -hmm. 40 million metric tons. So, I mean, you're, that's like 30%, 32% uh, larger mm -hmm. crop size, you know, year over year. So they were certainly part of the story last year, Nick, uh, that was part of the dominoes that produced, you know, this big rally that we saw, uh, you know, a year ago that we were kind of right in the midst of, but Ukraine having a poor crop mm -hmm. last year was certainly part of that, you know, when China was stepping in it and ultimately buying, mm -hmm. you know, what, 27 million metric tons of corn from the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, like you mentioned, the domino effect, uh, they were kind of the start of that. And then, you know, we had Brazil's uh, crop deteriorate big time uh, from where they started initially on paper. You know, we dropped uh, from uh, you know, 105, somewhere in that department, million metric tons all the way down to 87, as I mentioned just previously uh, on, on the, uh, the revise there. So that was also a big catalyst. So we had big demand. Uh, as I mentioned, we didn't have the ethanol, uh, huge demand like we've got this year, the big, the big grind margins. Um, but yeah, those two really teed it off for last year. And I think going forward uh, with, with, the Ukraine production bigger and South American production at least bigger today on paper. Now we're getting into their uh, real, you know, like, like I mentioned, all eyes on South America, getting into their growing season. And uh, that'll be the next thing uh, to really watch as everybody knows uh, it's becoming more of a, uh, global corn uh, balance sheet anymore, just like wheat and, and, and soybeans. And, and that'll certainly be the next thing on top of the January report to, to kind of focus on. Are you buying so more, more? The, sorry. Are you buying the U.S. export number on the balance sheet today? I mean, we're talking about Ukraine. We're talking about Brazil corn. Um, you know, we'll see what the size of those crops are. Are you buying U.S. corn exports at two and a half billion bushels? I so we do I think we do a great job of analyzing you know the weekly exports and and crunching the numbers on world values and you know this year a little different we had a little tighter wheat uh some issues worldwide I still think there's some some issues there uh from a, a world uh, turmoil standpoint with Russia Ukraine uh, uh, uh Australia fought some uh, heavy rain here the past month. Uh, I think there's still a couple things there lingering uh, that could be important here for whether, whether it's uh, wheat feed demand or corn demand. But uh, simply put, to answer your question, Luke, I think, you know, our bias would be those might be a little higher today. You know, the USDA is at 2.5. Um, our number today is 2.585, so 85 million bushels more. Um, you know, I've also heard some lower and higher. So I think uh, I think the big thing goes back to what uh, is Brazil going to put out in their second crop, which, you know, we really won't know that till the tail end of spring uh, in uh, this upcoming spring. Um, and then we'll really start seeing them uh, start competing against us uh, as they start shipping in, in early June. Um, but yeah, so far, um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a fair number today and it's kind of, you know, we, we try and anticipate what the numbers are at the end of the year. So my bias might be, it might be a little higher, um, by the end of the year, but, uh, certainly need to see how a few, uh, you know, production cycles factor out for South America and some of these wheat, uh, origins. Well, good stuff there on the corn, Nick. Let's let's transition over to soybeans. I want to get your thoughts there as well. 
Uh, in similar fashion, USDA left the domestic balance sheet for soybeans unchanged today, no, no changes. And so we're gonna be looking for the January set of data um, you know, for some ideas on final production and uh, more on demand. I think that was probably the surprise in the numbers was the market was maybe looking for a reduction in exports uh, given mm -hmm. uh, you know, that program being a little bit softer than maybe what we had anticipated coming in. Um, and you know, globally, no changes in uh, some of your Brazilian and Argentine production estimates. So pretty quiet set of numbers in the bean side of things again, uh, just like the corn. So Nick, thoughts on uh, the numbers from the USDA and then just the bean market in general. Yep, absolutely, Luke. Uh, so again, you know, I like taking a look at this balance sheet and, and you know the the supply production side of this. I again, I think we've pretty much got a nail on this by now. So uh, after some revisions with FSA data, I you know I hard to argue any of that on the production and supply side. Uh, like you alluded to, the demand side, I still think we got some questions uh, looming. Um, I'll start with the crush domestic side of things for the soybean plants around the country. Those margins. Uh, uh, have remained fantastic. Um, you know, West East, we continue to see great margins there. Uh, great demand for, um, so, you know, soybean oil, uh, soybean meal. The products uh, continue to be good. But what we're running into is the crush uh, capacity. Uh, right now, the USDA put out 2.190 billion bushels worth of crush for the U.S. And our, our bias would honestly be we're a little higher than that. Um, you know, there's a certain point when you can add up NOPA and non-NOPA uh, players, and then, you know, you kind of take a crack off that for maintenance. And we tend to think we're somewhere above uh, the number, but we're starting to really get into that capacity, uh, at least for this year. Um, you know, without going down a rabbit hole, we will start to see more capacity come online the next couple of years from a bean plant perspective, uh, Iowa, up north, uh, various spots. So that'll be something to watch for capacity to grow in the next couple of years. Uh, today, I think we we feel pretty good of, of that staying pretty stagnant, though, uh, plus or minus 10 million bushels, um, or plus 10 million bushels on our side. Um, the export thing, you're exactly right. Um, you know, if you looked at a uh, year-to-date export sales chart, uh, we're considerably lower uh, to China. Um, so as you're looking at that, we're, we're tracking really along uh, an export pace of 2017 to China, uh, below 2016, below two, uh, last year, 2020. Um, so our export bias today, uh, if the USDA is at 2.050, uh, we are at 1924. Um, so, you know, significantly lower. Um, Again, you know, a lot's going to depend here on uh, Brazil when they really start hitting the market. And, and as everybody knows, they are uh, a little earlier this year. Um, so they may start getting into our cookies, U.S. export cookies, a little sooner uh, than most years. But uh, the bias today would be, you know, from a, a big picture, if the USDA came out at 340 million bushels, we would probably be something closer to uh, 450 to 500. Um, our exact number is 485 million bushel carryout. So on paper, at least today, we're growing a little on beans. Um, but again, you know, we've we've got a few months here to learn a few more things uh, from an export standpoint, in my, in my personal uh, opinion. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good information there. And you, know, you alluded to the crush expansion. Any ideas from you or your research team on 
I mean, when all these projects get done, these, these uh, new builds and uh, some remodels at some of these plants, how much in, in millions of bushels, what are we going to add to crush demand yeah. domestically? Yeah, so I like to use, uh, so today, uh, for this year, I'm using, you know, that 2.20 uh, that, that I gave you uh, from our balance sheet. Um, in reality, that capacity, if you add up all the plants, I think it's closer to like 2.5 to 2.6. Um, so I always use almost an 88% rule uh, versus total capacity. So um that would be our number today. Uh, to answer your question, Luke, I think next year uh, with the problems we've had with logistics, labor, I don't see that number screaming up yet. Um, so as a total capacity for the USDA, now that's using that you know percentage rule, I'm taking that up probably another 100 million bushels uh, for next year. Uh, and then the following year, uh, if we did not have these COVID logistic problems, labor problems, um, that would come sooner. But if you look up to 2023 to 24, that's where I think we'll start to see the big jump in capacity. And the number we're kind of, I'm using vaguely today uh, for that far out is like a 2.5 to 2.6 billion bushel. So uh, just to reiterate, uh, we're at 2.2 today, potentially 2.3 next year, and then like 2.5 to 2.6 billion bushels worth of use uh, in 23, 24. So overall, another 300 to 400 million bushels worth of use uh, in about two years, we're kind of thinking right now. Well, farmers love to hear that. That's good news. We like, we like yeah, more demand. We like more domestic demand. That's great. Uh, are we going to be able to get rid of the products with that kind of expansion? What are we going to do with all that soybean meal? Yeah, I think uh, I think that's a good point. You know, right now uh, globally we ship a lot of beans out. Uh, they get get crushed in other countries, and you know, working with a few uh, soybean plants uh, around the country, um, I think the take is, you know, if we can bring those beans in house and then export the meal instead of exporting the beans, uh, I think it, you know, we'll, we'll be able to capture a little more uh, from a monetary value, uh, but. But I do. I, I don't see uh, world demand from a protein standpoint quite slowing down yet. Um, you know, there there was some initial thoughts earlier this year that, you know, maybe folks, end users uh, from a country standpoint, maybe switching to more grain based. But I still think the verdict's out on that. I mean, protein, uh, we know. Uh, is very vital to growth, uh, not just humans, but animals. And uh, I anticipate uh, that to continue here uh, as, as the world continues to grow. Yeah, all, uh, I also think that so the only other thing I'd add, Luke, to that uh, is the soybean oil. Um, you know, during the COVID, uh, we saw a big spike in soybean oil. Uh, you know, some issues with palm around the world. And, um, you know, I think the direction from the COVID and how this shakes out will also play a large role. But today, um, I anticipate good uh, demand in that regard, um, as we could crush it uh, in the country in house here, and then ship those products around the world. Well, that's good stuff there, Nick, uh, you know, Value-added products, great way to increase, like you mentioned, the value of our exports. And, you know, the livestock producers in the U.S. have been doing that for a long time as we try to grow, uh, you know, our share of exports uh, for meat products uh, and really uh, increasing the value of a product before it finally leaves our borders. So 
Uh, be, mm -hmm. Looks like we're going to expand that uh, in the in the soybean crush industry. Um, you know, kind of on the heels of some biofuel expansion. So mm -hmm. good, stuff, good stuff there. Exactly. But let's. Uh, I want to. I want to grab another point from you before we shut this thing down, and really an area that you know you're passionate about, an area that you, uh, I would call you an expert in. So I want to get kind of your thoughts on the cash markets and the current state of things, really domestically and probably globally. But you know, for for producers in Nebraska, Kansas, the Western Corn Belt, really is the folks listening in on this. Um, Basis has been really hot this year. I mean, all the way summer, all the way through, you know, we went through the inverse, but then coming right into harvest, I mean, uh, soybean basis was probably a good 30 cents stronger than what people would expect. Uh, and corn really never broke. Uh, and we're probably a good 10 uh, to 15 cents stronger than normal in corn for this time of year. So Nick, maybe talk about that a little bit. Why is basis, you know, as strong as it is? Why is there no carry in futures? We just seem like we've struggled to have any carry in futures the last, you know, 24 months. Um, talk about some of the dynamics uh, in play there. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think the thing that kind of uh, was a domino effect early on, uh, you got to discuss last year and kind of the stuff you alluded to early on with, uh, you know, the the Ukraine corn crop and then the Brazil issues with the corn crop and and overall how carry out on corn, both corn and beans were extremely tight last year. Uh, you know, at one point, uh, we had corn uh, stocks used down around 7%. Ended up about 8.3%, uh, which is still historically tight, uh, and beans was no was, was no different. Um, you know, as I mentioned, uh, China buying was extremely strong uh, last year. Uh, you know, uh, touch over a billion bushels, and we had carry out. Uh, you know, there was a point there where I thought uh, we'd be we'd be around 100 100 to 150 million bushels uh, carry out, and we, the the whole you know market was saying, oh, you know, that's that's probably not feasible so the market's got to adjust so i think coming from that we had a tight carry out there uh we knew that uh the u.s had to grow a good crop and we did uh despite you know some bumps in the road uh, a lot of the yields uh specifically northwest ended up being a little better uh we ended up with a better yield on corn uh than what we had thought uh, initially um, you know, there was there was guys on both sides of the fence there as there always was, but a 177 uh, ish uh, is still historically high, uh, and beans no different. We ended up doing the same thing. We had a uh, not quite a record, but a great yield. Um, so to answer your question, uh, yeah, the U.S. has been firm uh, cash on corn. Um, so coming from a back-to-back -back tight year um, was probably the, the biggest or one of the biggest reasons for that. Um, I would also say that uh, a big, uh, biggest reason as any besides being tighter carryouts uh, on corn is we had great farmer selling out west uh, in the fall. Uh, historical takes records with the record yields out there. Um, but we didn't see that kind of movement as heavy uh, around the Illinois waterway delivery system, which really uh, drives the spreads. That, that is the science behind the spreads. Um, would also say out west, although you guys had a great crop south of uh, South Dakota, Nebraska, you guys, uh, Kansas, Iowa ended up being really good. 
Um, you know, South Dakota and, and not as good, but still good. Uh, North Dakota was was obviously the, the the biggest problem child. Minnesota ended up being better than expected, uh, but our friends up north, Canada, ended up uh, in a, a severe drought as North Dakota. Um, so all year we've we've had Canada. Uh, just a giant uh, sucking sound from not just the plains, but we've seen rail come out of southern Illinois all the way up to Canada. So um, those animals, those people need to eat as well and are, are using corn. So that was been has been a big part of it. Um, giving cash today and our our uh, uh, cash uh, for exports today, uh, I would say, you know, exports for corn are going to increase as we move forward into 2022 uh, versus the fall. Um, so I anticipate cash remaining firm uh, from that point, and I kind of call that like the artery of the market. Um, but out west, uh, you had the P&W strength as well uh, with the um, this is uh, more of a global issue, but because of logistics, the vessels and, and the spread of vessels, uh, vessel freight from the Pacific Northwest to um, Asia uh, versus the Gulf spread uh, for vessels to Asia has been historically high. Um, and that's, I believe, uh, a, a reason because of COVID and, and uh, some of the labor shortages and that all around the world. So as that number was really big, um, it kept really good demand for the PNW this year. And uh, as you guys know, in Nebraska, you guys uh, can tap that market pretty good. And so that has helped it stay strong. Uh, but would also say uh, the ethanol margins that we saw, uh, we've seen here, have have uh, really been different from what we've seen in years past. So, you know, the 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 various ethanol plants tributary to you guys' footprint have continuously wanted to buy corn, and uh, because of the margins they're making. So, to answer the question, I anticipate corn spreads uh, to remain firm, constantly watching cash, uh, you know, west to east. And if we start to see, you know, the farmer come back after the new year, start selling uh, again, uh, we start to see the commercial rewarding the market as these spreads continue to firm, um, we'll start to maybe see the thing break. But I think we've got to wait until uh, we really start to see those signs of change uh, in cash uh, before we start to see these spreads break. So. That would that would be the take on corn. As far as beans, um, you know, exports haven't been ideal. I'd say the biggest catalyst for uh, the issues with bean our bean export to start the year uh, was down in Louisiana. We had a Hurricane Ida hit. Uh, that that the timing of when that hit is uh, historically our best time to come in and compete against Brazil and and uh, South America for bean exports. Um, so we missed a lot of business there early on, um, and that's had a, a kind of a residual effect on us throughout this year of just overall having less exports. Now, counter to that, we've had processing margins that have been extremely good for, for soybeans. Um, so those guys, like the uh, corn uh, ethanol guys, have really not taken their foot off the the, the pedal. They've continued to buy uh, soybeans and, and they're able to crush those and, and make very good money. Um, so as we roll on bean spreads where we've seen them kind of come in and come out, uh, 
I go back to Brazil and and the record large crop that uh, they're growing down there right now, which is something that we should see a little more carry in the market uh, going forward uh, when they start coming off with their beans in uh, you know late January, early February. Um, that, at that point, it'll go back to what's the processor uh, sediment. Are they still strong? And if they are still strong, uh, the, the processing plants tributary to that Illinois waterway delivery system could have some uh, put some strength into spreads again. Um, but I always go back to the exports uh, are the artery and are what really drive the spreads and, and the entire system. Um, so with Brazil coming in, it's going to be kind of interesting to see actually what that processor uh, can do to these spreads. But bias would be, you know, bullish corn spreads a little bit today um, with cash as our guide and, and uh, bean spreads. You know, I, I could I could see uh, see them either way uh, with Brazil coming on, uh, but at the same time, strong processor demand that may keep them a little firmer than they need to be uh, for a year like this year. A lot of good stuff in there, Nick. I mean, really, really for our farmers, I mean, if we had to break that down, I mean, just not going to be a lot of uh, carry uh, incentivizing people to hold the grain. I mean, really, that's what the market's trying to tell us, right, is if you have physical physical inventory, you know, the market's not going to reward you for holding that. Is that a fair right. statement? Very fair. I, I always like to say, Luke, you know, when spreads are firm, or excuse me, when basis is firm, uh, that's a strong signal for spreads to firm. Um, there's an entire delivery mechanism that drives, you know, futures and these spreads that we don't have to go into today. Uh, but as these are firming, uh, the spreads are firming, that, that will tell us that the basis does not have to go much higher. The spreads can actually do, I like to say, the heavy lifting for demand to get corn and beans to where they need to be on the demand side. So uh, exactly right. Uh, you know, from, from how we think of things to how the producer thinks of things, we never try and outguess the market. We let the market tell us what to do. And I always like to say, kind of funny, Bob and we from there. Um, so, you know, again, as these spreads are firm, cash is firm, that's a strong signal to reward the market. And it's something, you know, I, I'll put my farmer hat for a second. That's something we would do on the farmer side, uh, as well as the commercial side. So you're exactly right, Luke, uh, when spreads are firming, basis is firming, that is a signal that demand needs fed. And I don't, I don't think anybody should try and fight that. Great stuff. Great stuff. Love what you said there about uh, you know, letting the market tell us what we need to be doing. Well, Nick, this is this has been really good information. Uh, if you could summarize and maybe pull out uh, what are three things our producers should be thinking about here as we close down 2021. Yep, absolutely. I think uh, that I was kind of weighing on this, uh, Luke, and I think the top three things. Um, you know, prices are good here, um, but I would I would start looking at South America. And if you haven't uh, taken a peek at their numbers, um, they are. And I, I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse here, but at least today they are growing uh, big corn and bean crops, uh, which will weigh on global demand. Um, you know, there's a there's a new home uh, down for for corn and beans in South America, and and we are going to continue to fight that. So where prices are good, uh, those crops are fantastic. And you know, going into Ukraine, back 
back to that area as well. We've seen just uh, other world players start to increase hybrids, you know, increase production. Um, so keep an eye on those guys, you know, more than ever uh, going forward here. Um, and if they, if, if prices are high, just like us, we're going to see high prices, cure high prices worldwide. So I go back to don't try and fight that. Um, you know, realize that there are competition and, and just because there's something going on in your backyard or in the U.S. doesn't mean prices can't weaken from here. So keep an eye on those global things. Um, I'd say that's number one. Uh, my number two would probably start to be, you know, this fertilizer deal. Uh, the, I, I'll call it a black swan. You know, we've got a lot of black swans flying this year uh, between, you know, COVID and this new variant and, you know, Russia, Ukraine turmoil, China, Taiwan turmoil, um, and and this fertilizer deal. So, you know, my takeaway, I think the acreage split for next year is as big as any. I, I've been recommending, I did a producer meeting today, and, and our recommendation was take a strong look at, because uh, although uh, anhydrous prices have uh, more than tripled here versus last year. Uh, the 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 market has realized the strength in in uh, these fertilizers and uh, has increased the price of corn versus the price of soybeans. The corn bean ratio. I know many guys are looking at along with it. And corn, at least what I was penciling this morning, uh, still shows. Uh, you know, corn still has a strong value. Really, uh, at least in my neck of the woods. Uh, and that, and that's why I go back to your guys uh, out in Nebraska. Just take a look at those because corn still, you know, still pencils uh, even with this hard fertilizer. So I would think uh, I would think that would be something else to keep an eye on as you're getting into planning and and kind of planning stuff to this next year, and uh, really using the tools that uh, you and your team, Luke, you, uh, provide uh, to manage that volatility and risk uh, via some of these higher inputs and uh, some of these price changes we've seen on corn versus beans. Um, so that would be my number two. I would say my number three uh, would be start uh, on that same note on as one uh, on the global uh, competitors would be start looking to lock in uh, bean prices specifically next year, uh, but also corn. Um, you know, today our balance sheets, I go always go back to the balance sheet, Luke. I, I, I again, I don't, we don't like to try and outguess the market. We really put a lot of uh, thought into, you know, what, not just what the USDA is putting out, but we like to crunch the numbers ourselves. And, you know, if I look at our balance sheet for soybeans next year, we're at 604 million bushels carry out for soybeans. Um, the USDA is currently at 321. The big difference there, they have acres at 87 and a half. We are at 90. Um, like I said earlier, there is a big split on what acres are going to be for next year um, between corn and beans. Um, the same conversation, the corn carry out for us this year is 1.640 or for excuse me for next year is 1.640 uh, and if you remember uh, the USDA was at 1493 so we've got more corn we've got more beans and I'll, I'll mention the, the corn uh, USDA baseline their numbers are creeping up on 2 billion bushels for corn carry out so mm -hmm. if you you know if, if you were at, you know, X for last year for carry out on corn and beans, we've increased more this year. 
we could potentially increase a lot more for next year. And uh, that, again, goes back to global competition for exports. And then, as I mentioned, you know, kind of maxing out some of these uh, – these uh, domestic demand points, uh, you know, from a, from a, uh, you know, a, a lot of it goes back to logistics and, and the labor shortages. So overall, if I could sum it up, Luke, it would be uh, just keep an eye on, uh, you know, the, the changes globally, and then, you know, goes back to high prices, cure high prices. And uh, I know uh, us for, for what we've been doing on our farm, we've really been uh, taking advantage of some of these higher prices while they're there because we know, you know, if things go up, they, they always come down. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, despite the inflation talk and all that, uh, go back to, you know, managing uh, a break even, uh, knowing your farm operations and, and uh, keeping an eye on some of these changes uh, going forward here the next few months for next, uh, next fall. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, great, great information. Three great takeaways there, Nick. Uh, this thing will cycle. We just don't know. Don't know when that's going to happen. Well, man, for a snoozer right. of a report, Nick, we had a lot of really good things to discuss today. And I just want to say thank you for investing some time with us and sharing some of your knowledge uh, with our listener base. Uh, let's do this again sometime. A lot of great information coming from you and uh, advanced trading. So, uh, Thank you very much, and uh, Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you and your family too, Luke. Hi to everybody else, and uh, absolutely, thank you for having me on. That was Nick Fitzgerald, Advanced Trading. Uh, thank him very much for coming on. That's going to do it for episode number 24 of the CVA Grain Exchange. We're going to catch you in 2022. It's going to be the big January 12th set of information that's going to give us some direction to start the new calendar year. Merry Christmas to all of you. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you in 2022. Thanks for listening to the CVA Grain Exchange. Stay up to date on all things CVA Grain by signing up for our grain emails at cvacoop.com slash grain or follow us on social media at Central Valley Ag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next month. And until then, stay safe. Stay safe.